Hey there, this is Laura. I wanted to pop in to give you an update. This episode was recorded prior to our rebranding. What was once the Read It With Whiskey podcast is now work in progress, the Laura J Live podcast. This episode reflects that traditional Read It With Whiskey format and may have information and content that has since expired or changed. Please visit laurajlive.com for more information. Enjoy the episode. Are you an author who has always dreamed of turning their book into an audiobook? Quixotic Bell Media is the audiobook podcast production company for you. They specialize in helping authors turn their books into an episodic audiobook podcast, releasing one to three chapters of their book each week. The episodic format will pull in new readers, help you grow your author brand and business, and QBM even offers help with audiobook launch strategies and monetizing your podcast. With Quixotic Bell Media, you record the audio and let them do the rest. You can finally start your podcast and audiobook without raising a finger to the logistics or time-intensive tasks. This means you'll be able to get back to what's important in your author business, your writing. So if you're interested in working with QBM, visit www.quixoticbellmedia.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Read It With Whiskey. I am your host, Laura Gentinen, and today we have a really, really fun interview with Kyle Robertson. So Kyle Robertson is an author, writer, and editor from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He studied journalism at Ithaca College, creative writing and publishing at Rosemont College, and he loves stories of all genres with compelling characters and complex plots. His debut novel just came out in October of 2020. It's a historical fiction thriller called The Showstopper. It's now available on Amazon as an ebook or print. He's also active across social media, and he will share his handles at the end of the episode, but he really enjoys with connecting with other authors and helping them with their work and championing other indie authors just like I do through this podcast. So I knew he was a good fit uh, to come on the show today. And when he's not writing, he loves catching up on another good book, some TV series, going for long walks. And he also has a black belt in Korean Tang So Do, and he teaches new students. So that is just something really exciting. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, but yes, today's interview was really, really fun with Kyle. We got to talk in depth about his book, The Showstopper, but also got to talk a little bit more about the author side of things and where the passion comes from writing. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Read It With Whiskey, an interview podcast highlighting self-published authors. I am your host, Laura Gentinen. The purpose behind this podcast is to help authors grow their audience while also introducing readers to their new favorite authors. Let's get to know the person behind the page. Sit back, sip some whiskey, and lean in to these self-published authors. Before we dive into the interview, it is time for a Laura J. Live update. So as some of you may know, I participated in NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month, and it takes place in November every single year. I had attempted to participate in this challenge for quite a few years before I succeeded. And yes, in 2020, I succeeded. I wrote over 50,000 words in 30 days. So that essentially is the challenge of NaNoWriMo. If you haven't heard of it before, you 
decide to write a book and you write 50,000 words in 30 days. It is a very challenging feat and it's something that I've always wanted to challenge myself with and it was just divine timing. It was the perfect time to do this and I flew through this book. After NaNoWriMo was complete, I decided to take a little bit of break on my creative side. We moved into our house. I got everything settled down a little bit. And now in the end of January 2021 into February, I will be pursuing the editing phase for this book. I'm not going to be uh, giving you guys too many details yet because it's still a little bit of a secret what the book is about, but stay tuned. And if you want more in-depth details, you can always sign up for my newsletter. To sign up for the newsletter, visit www.laurajlive.com, and that's L-A-U-R-A-J-A-Y-L-I-V-E.com. There, you will be able to choose what type of information you want to be filled in with. Uh, There's various different things you can learn about. In other news... We are also going to be launching the Read It With Whiskey book club this spring. I don't have an official start date. However, if you're interested in getting onto the pre-launch email list, that option is available on that same page where you sign up for the newsletters. So go ahead and choose that box and you will be filled in when that book club is officially launched. But it's coming soon and I'm really, really excited about it. So stay tuned. And what would Read It With Whiskey be if we didn't talk about whiskey, you guys? So today's whiskey of choice is Screwball. It's a peanut butter whiskey. It says on the label here, to the misfits, black sheep, and screwballs. I really, really enjoyed this whiskey. It was actually a gift given to me by a coworker. Um, and I was just so excited to receive this whiskey for Christmas. It has like that perfect little blend of sweet that you need if you're just gonna drink whiskey straight. So if you have not tried the Screwball peanut butter whiskey, I definitely recommend going out and trying that for yourself. And finally, if you would be interested in helping to support me with the Read It With Whiskey podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash readitwithwhiskey to support me if you would like to donate a few dollars a month um, to just keep this podcast rolling to make sure that we have the ability to get new authors in, um, do a little bit more in the whiskey distillery tour avenue, um, and just keep on going. Uh, that's patreon.com slash read it with whiskey. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on read it with whiskey. How are you doing today? I'm doing perfectly well, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to talk to you. I loved your book. I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in maybe like two days. Wow. <laughs> I just, I just binge read it. Um, and I was really excited to go back through it and kind of pick out my favorite scenes and my favorite people that we can talk about today. But first of all, I just want to dive in with asking you, why did you become a writer? What was the motivation behind that? So it kind of goes back a ways. And by the way, thank you very much for that wonderful intro. I'm so glad you liked the book. But uh, so why I became a writer going back uh, years and years now. So when I was a little kid, I you know grew up loving watching TV, uh, reading books, all kinds of consumption of anything fictional. 
And especially when I was watching TV, some of the my some episodes of my favorite TV shows, I would be like, oh, wow, that was so great, you know, but then other times I would also be like, well, that was dumb. I feel like I could have done it better. Like, what if they did this? Ooh, you know, then then what? So that was kind of where it started. And years after that, when I was probably like in middle school or high school, early high school, maybe, I tried my hand at writing for the first time creatively via like fan fictions of like, you know, writing new episodes of my favorite like TV shows, for example. And I I liked that, of course, but I always kind of felt like, well, I want to do something a little bit more in depth than that. So when I was in high school, I was a big part of like music and theater. That was kind of what I did at the time. And I had always wanted to come up with something, my own original story that I could call my own and write. And I kind of got this random weird idea and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but that resulted in my book, The Showstopper, um, that uh, was just about somebody wrecking plays for money uh, because I think it kind of came out of my teenage angst at the time and, f- and getting passed over for parts that I felt like I deserved. And like looking back, I was like, yeah, probably not. But uh, that's kind of where it came from. And I talked to friends about this. They encouraged me to you know go for it and actually try to write a book. Some people even dared me to do it. This, oh, <laughs> I had to do yeah. it at that point. Um, And yeah, then after that, it was quite a journey to actually get there. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but that's kind of where it started. I love it. And and that's something that a lot of people I talk with say is that their life experiences kind of get put into the book or have a big influence in what you write about. Um, So obviously we already said the title, The Showstopper. And um, for my book club members in the future, I'm holding up the book now. If you want to see what it looks like, everyone for on the podcast, you'll have to go and um, join the book club so you can watch this interview live on a video. Um, But yeah, tell us what The Showstopper is all about. So The Showstopper is a lot of different things in one kind of storyline, which focuses on 1920s New York, specifically Broadway and the theater district is where a lot of the action happens. And it's about this masked criminal, the title namesake of the book, The Showstopper. I don't want to give too much away when I'm talking about this, but who is wreaking havoc up and down Broadway by wrecking shows and you're destroying props, embarrassing the actors and basically closing down these these companies because of all the damages that, that are incurred. And there's a number of characters who get involved around this central story. Um, a, you know, a young janitor who's my main character, um, an actress, a police officer, a reporter, they're a theater owner. There's a whole lot of them, as I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss. But they all kind of get drawn into this central conspiracy that surrounds this criminal and that there's actually a lot more going on. And that, in fact, said criminal, the showstopper, may actually not be the one who needs to be who needs to be dealt with. There's actually somebody worse. I won't say too much about that, but <laughs> somebody who's kind of hiding in the shadows and is this sinister puppet master who's controlling pretty much everybody in the story. Oh, I love it. Every everything you're saying, I'm just like, oh, I remember every single part, <laughs> and I love it. So. There's just so many twists and turns and little um, avenues that you go through within this book. So tell us the story about how you were specifically inspired um, from your middle and high school days a little bit more in detail for us. 
Well, like I was saying uh, at the time, I thought I was such a good singer and such a good actor. I'm still kind of into those things. I don't really act anymore. I sing in the car. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I, at the time, I probably thought I was a lot better than I actually am. You know, I think we all kind of go through that at some point with certain For things. Sure. But yeah, at the, at the time, I was then very upset frequently because I felt like I was getting, you know, passed over for like the good parts in the school play. And, you know, one day when I was just lounging around with, with some friends after school at rehearsal, I was just kind of, you know, idly speculating, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so fed up with this. I wish somebody would like, you know, burn it down, basically. <laughs> and yes. from that, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And like, maybe not a healthy speculation, but whatever. So uh, <laughs> kind of from, from that idle comment th was kind of the genesis of this idea and a lot of different things came into it. Um, I definitely love comic books. I always have. So I've wanted to write a sort of superhero-ish story. I've loved the idea of heroes and supervillains. And that's kind of where the showstopper character came from. Um, but seeing things more along the lines of like Batman, I was going for a more like gritty, realistic sort of portrayal of that. Also, I went on Broadway to see a number of shows, but mostly like the Phantom of the Opera played a huge part in this oh, because I, I think if that wasn't really, that wasn't really... Uh, a focus of mine, but I can't deny that that probably did influence the the, the ideas of this story a lot. Um, so yeah, I kind of the characters themselves also. I a lot of them I don't really know where they came from. You talked a little earlier about how we you know kind of insert our lives into stories, and there are some things that I've written that definitely do that. But with the showstopper outside of that very general premise there's very little of me in this story at all. Like this is just, uh, it was just something I wrote for fun, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. So you're not doing acting or, or singing outside of the, the car, or the shower. So what are you doing full-time? <laughs> are you writing full-time? What is your job? No. So currently I work full-time in the marketing department of an online financial college. And that definitely helps a lot because I get to write every single day. Like I don't obviously get to, to write stories that I made up, but it does let me exercise my creative muscles. And I do enjoy that. I also know that with a, a lot of authors, especially self-published authors, I feel like you kind of have to be practical about these things. And I doubt very much. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. I hope so. <laughs> but I doubt very much that at any point in my life, I'm going to be subsisting purely off of my you know fiction writing I really really doubt it I feel I feel like I need to be practical so I think I'm going to be holding a day job and while I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that kind of day job that I love the most might be marketing has been really good I was in journalism for a while and again I'm, we might actually talk about that in reference to the showstopper but I found that that feel was really not for me it was not nearly as creatively liberating as I hoped it would be and also kind of just depressing, but I'll right. politics talk out of this. Um, right. But yeah, um, actually, since you brought it up, I was actually going to ask you this with the showstopper, there's a bunch of different points of views within this book. And I feel like that's really big right now in the industry is different points of view. And one of those um, is a little bit of like the journalist side of it. So how was it being a journalist and putting that into the book? <laughs> well, definitely my uh, reporter character, Trevor Goodwin of the Broadway Review. Uh, it's like the, the name just rolls off the tongue. But oh, anyway, yeah. I, j I, I love his character. He's probably one of my favorites in the entire book because he was definitely the closest thing to me inserting myself into my own book. 
in that he has that kind of jaded, cynical outlook on the world that I think that I have at times. I try not to, to let that govern my life too much, but it's kind of hard not to, especially when you've been, you know, behind the scenes and see how the sausage is made and in, in journalism and politics and all that. But anyway, that was definitely the closest I come in this book to putting myself in the story. And I was also trying to draw from obviously the context of the times. This is the 1920s and the uh, Joseph Pulitzer, you know, or uh, Randolph Hearst, yellow journalism phenomenon was really uh, was a huge thing back at that time where there was there was very little difference between factual reporting and and biased opinion. I mean, it kind of all blended into each other. And I guess you could still argue about that today. But back then, it definitely was a huge thing. There was very little difference between fact and opinion. And maybe that kind of carries over in some ways into today, too. Yeah. And I think today it's a little bit even more difficult because of social media. So you never know what to believe. But back then they believed what they read because they believed everyone was truthful and honest. And so what a reporter wrote, that's that's most likely what the general public believed. Um, so he was your favorite character. My favorite character was McKenna. And I think um, he was the policeman and just for our listeners. And I think mainly because it starts out with him kind of going back in time and reliving the whole situation. And I usually cling to that first person that I read about, uh, but also I really enjoyed him because of how he really handled everything and took control. And I just really liked how everything ended. <laughs> I'm really, really glad. Favorites. Yeah, I'm really glad that you you liked McKenna. Um, I, I, I like with with how the book is kind of laid out. Like you said, there is an you know, there's an introduction um, and 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 outro by McKenna, who's basically you know recounting the events of the story. In some ways, I suppose you could argue that he's actually the main character of the showstopper, not Tom Wilkins, who is the, the janitor character and my quote unquote, you know, main character. I guess you could argue in some ways that McKenna is actually the main character. And I do kind of, spoiler alert, indulge that a little bit in <laughs> the planned sequel that I have for this book. Yes, there will be one at some point, but McKenna is very much the main character of the sequel. So he is, like you said, telling this story. And I, I was kind of going back to this idea. And again, I don't know exactly where it all came from, but I, my background is Irish. My, my family came from Ireland years and years and years ago. And I've read a lot about the you know, discrimination that the Irish and other immigrants faced at that time. So I definitely wanted to build that kind of identity into this character where not only is he young and you know, people won't take him that seriously because he's young, he also is, you know, he's also an immigrant or the, or the son or a you know, grandchild of immigrants. So people also don't take him seriously because of that. And I mean, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of, you know, an ugly thing to have to deal with those racism issues. Uh, but I felt like, especially from, from my own family history, I felt like I could probably write about that as opposed to, you know, other, other topics in that area where I'm definitely not qualified to talk about other people's experiences. Yeah, it's, it was definitely interesting reading it. And you had so many different backgrounds for the characters. Obviously, in that time, everyone was coming from somewhere. It wasn't like now where everyone's just here. <laughs> so you had so many different um, personalities and backgrounds. So I don't want to dive too much into the details of your book, <laughs> but you said there's a, there's a sequel. Do you have a timeline of when that's going to be out? Because it's just published in October 2020. 
Yes. And there was actually a long time before that, that I was still kind of playing around with this idea. I actually, and this might be another question, so I apologize, but I actually first published this book back in 2014. That was when I was just first getting into the idea of, you know, self-publishing. And I just wanted to, you know, I, I had this story. I wanted to get my work out there. I thought it was so cool that there was an option to self-publish and that I didn't have to, you know, wait on pins and needles for somebody else to tell me that they liked my book. But when I first released it, obviously, I made some good, I made some good choices. I made some bad choices, admittedly. I didn't really know a whole lot about anything. So I had originally published it in 2014. It then kind of, you know, lounged around with me not really doing a whole lot with it until about couple years ago in like 2017 when I came back to it and was like okay I want to you know do I want to do a little bit better by this so I went back and like revised and edited the inside and put it out again as like a second edition and again didn't really do a whole lot with it until last year 2020 when I was like you know what I'm gonna do this right this time I've been (laughs) now been part of the writing community on social media for like three years thereabouts and I've seen other people put out self-published work that is really astounding in its quality. And I was like, I want to be part of that. So I actually put in an investment. I had people design a cover for me. I had people really professionally edit my book and took all the steps that I felt like I needed to, to make it a real live self-published work that I can be proud of. So anyway, I'm kind of <laughs> going a little bit off track there. So sorry. What was your question from before? No, the sequel, the sequel. So yes, yes. do you have that planned out? Mm-hmm. So yes and no. I have a very loose idea of what the sequel will entail. Well, I'm kind of lying. It's a pretty, it's rather detailed actually, but (laughs) there there are just some parts. I always have the beginning and the the end figured out. It's the middle that gives me problems. I know basically what, what I want to have happen in that story. However, there are some major roadblocks to it. So I wouldn't expect it probably at any point in the, in the super near future. It is very much on my to-do list though. There are a couple of things. One is the setting of the second book shifts from 1920s New York to 1930s New Orleans. So New Orleans is a very different kind of scene and one that I'm not quite as familiar with. And also there's uh, going to be a couple different items in the book that I felt like I wanted to include that could be somewhat problematic. Like the, I wanted to include the sort of interesting like voodoo mysticism kind of thing that New Orleans is sort of known for, but obviously that's a little bit fraught. And also I felt like I couldn't possibly talk about someplace like New Orleans without talking about uh, the state of race relations in the 1930s, especially between you know, black people and white people. And that is something that I am kind of honestly you know, uncomfortable with myself writing without some kind of very like detailed research into it. So the sequel to make a long story short will require some more research work than than the first one did and you'd actually be surprised at how little historical research i did for the first one but uh, yeah there are definitely some topics in there that i'm like yeah i'm not gonna approach this until i really can you know spend the time to make sure that i get it right right especially since you you did originally publish this and that was one of my questions for later on but i'm glad we hit it when we did since you i did go back I go back into social media of all the people I interview and I had seen that you had published it before, a different color all, all or cover and all that. Um, and so since you went through that process, I like that you want to go more into the details of researching, maybe even collaborating with someone who knows more information about that so then they can help you. Um, and you might have to do a little trip and, and go there for yourself and just <laughs> kind of see the kind of atmosphere you can get yourself into. 
I have uh, actually visited New Orleans a couple of times, but I think uh, a few days worth of visits hardly qualifies me to, you know, write a full historical fiction novel about it. Like New York City and in terms of the 20s, which is a period like The Great Gatsby and like a ton of works cover that. So I felt pretty safe you know, kind of using, going off of what a lot of other writers have written about. Right. But with, with something like, you know, like I said, New Orleans in the 1930s, I think that's a little bit more obscure and something that I would definitely have to do some actual legwork on. Yes, for sure. All right. So I think if we went any more into the book, we would just give away too much. So we're not going to go too <laughs> many more details, um, but people can definitely pick up your book. But I did want to touch on this. Um, how did you feel that first time that you picked up your new cover book and held it in your hands. What was that feeling like when you finally got it? Oh, it was really incredible. Like, I mean, the first time, if you want to go like all the way back in 2014, I mean, it was really, really cool. And it obviously still is. But the idea that I didn't have to, like I said, you know, wait on the traditional publishing industry, like for me, that was a really like scary thing at the time because I didn't know basically anything about it. And I was like, well, you know, what chance do I ever have of somebody, you know, wanting this book? But yeah, being able to hold a book in your hands that you know that, that you wrote and you did all, all the work for, it was just like, you know, oh, oh my goodness, it's just really incredible feeling. But if you fast forward, you know, like six years to uh, last year when the new version came out, Obviously, I can't claim credit for that whole thing now because other people did the, the cover design and did the editing inside. I kind of handled the book formatting mostly with some with a little bit of help from from another one of my friends. But I'm very, very grateful to everybody who touched the book on the way and who contributed all of their you know talents and awesomeness to it. And it's now. I mean, it's such an improvement. Like it actually looks and feels like a real novel that you might find on a bookstore shelf as compared to my earlier attempts, which were uh, size-wise was a little too big for that. Glossy cover doesn't really look a whole lot like a bookstore book. But anyway, I just, I think that the new version is so amazing and it's really thrilling every time to, you know, look at something like that and be like, yeah, I wrote that. Mm -hmm. I did that. It's, it's great. And so when you... So obviously back in 2014, you were self-publishing back then on Amazon. So what was it that made you decide you wanted to stay in self-publishing indie author versus going the traditional route? So with this story, I figured a part of it is, you know, a legal sort of thing. I know that every once in a while, a book will be self-published and then it kind of gets picked up by a major publisher if it really sells. But I was worried at that point that like, you know, if I try to backtrack on this particular story, there could be issues. So I figured once it was published, I'm kind of stuck. So I might as well stick with it. But being part of the you know, online writing community like I have over the past three years and getting to know so many other self-published authors, you know, some of whom have been actually quite successful in, in self-marketing their own books, which I'm kind of still working on. It really it gave me the inspiration that, that I needed to you know, make sure that I did this right. And I got this you know, impression of a whole community of indie authors who we all need to kind of, you know, lift each other up, not only that, but also ensure some kind of, you know, standard of, of quality for our books. I definitely did not want to be part of the problem of, I've read self-published books that are wonderful, like I said, but I've also read some that are, you know, still like riddled with typos and the design work and formatting isn't quite, you know, where it should be. And I can, it just bothers my eyes when I read them and I can tell. So I don't want to be part of that problem. I don't want to be part of the reason why self-publishing 
I still feel like it gets a little bit of, of, of negative press, but not nearly as much as it used to. I think it's becoming more and more popular, but still, I, like I said, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I love that. And that's one of the exact reasons I started this podcast is so then I can help the community. I feel like self-published authors, indie authors, we're such a collaborative community where we want to help each other succeed. We're not competitors against each other. We're collaborators and we're going to help each other as much as we can in any way we can. And that's why I started the podcast. I want to help authors find their audience. I want to help readers find their new favorite author by learning about the person behind the page. And it just, it just warms my heart. Um, and that's one of the, one of my favorite reasons about being an author, specifically self-published authors, because of the community that we have. Um, obviously apart from the actual writing part, I like the actual <laughs> writing part and getting my words out to the readers. What is your favorite, favorite part about being an author? Honestly, there's a lot of different parts of it that I love, but the biggest part is getting to, like you said, collaborate with, with all these other people who I've gotten to know. It's really wonderful. Um, another big part of it for me is just the, the creativity of it. Like, I, I want to write stories that give people a chance to, you know, escape everyday life and, and kind of, you know, indulge your, indulge your fantasy for like a little while, you know, because I mean, real life, you know, you got you to gotta come back to it sooner or later, but everyone needs a break every now and then. I've never personally really aspired to write like the great American novel. I mean, it'd be great if I did at some point, but personally, I think that what I write, I just write to entertain people. And if people can say that, you know, I really had a good time reading your book, that's all that matters to me. I'm not after some great work of literature. I just want, want to help people have fun. And what is, speaking of, what is the best review that you've ever received for your work? Well, there have been a number of like really positive things that have been that have been said on, you know, by either on Amazon or from people that I know, but uh, especially when family members, especially those who are, you know, extended family and there have been a, a couple who reach out to me despite me barely ever talking to them and being like, you know, my god, congratulations on your book. I read it. I loved it. That's really what means a lot to me. And also, I know a couple of, I have a couple of friends uh, in the writing community who love, who are like, I love your books, who I'm like your number one fan. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that means so much to me. It really does. Everybody's support has been, has been wonderful. They're liking the book. What is the biggest uh, question or the most asked question that your readers have about the showstopper specifically? Well, I think a lot of people want to know about the, about the identity of the showstopper themselves. And actually, I won't spoil too much, but the identity of the showstopper, as you probably know from reading the book, is actually not the big secret of the story. Like you would think that this idea of a, you know, of a mass criminal who, who does these things, that would the identity of that person would be the big secret of the story. But no, I, I, that's really not the point. I kind of lay it out pretty early on. But there's a much greater mystery at play, and I'm, there's a big plot twist at the end of it that I'm very, very proud of. So I think that's what people have the most questions about. And one that I love asking people is, did you see it coming, like the plot twist? Because I feel like I'm kind of on the fence. I think some ways I'm like, yeah, I definitely like worked in some clues in there that maybe it's too obvious. But then at the same time, people are like, oh, no, you know, I had no idea. I was totally blown away. It's been about 50-50. Yeah. So I think I'm doing okay in that respect. Yeah, no, I think you did really good. And I'll say I'm kind of person who's always looking for like, okay, where are they going to throw this twist in? Because I know that something's going to happen. So that's been on my, that was on my radar from like the very start of the book. 
even though it was on my radar, I still had a few surprises at the end. And that's what I was really, really happy about because that means that it's really good <laughs> if I can't see everything that happens at the end. So I just, I really loved it. And I, I also wanted to make a point to say that I liked that how you wrote, I could actually see it happening in my mind. And not a lot of people can do that as, as smoothly, I guess I could say. <laughs> like when things were happening, I could, I could visualize it. I'm a very visual person. So I like play the story in my head. And so that was really a treat for me to be able to read that book in that well, I'm, way. I'm really glad to hear that actually, because one of the things that I'm kind of hard on myself about with writing is that I don't think that I'm great. Like I, I won't lie. I'm great with dialogue. I feel I love writing dialogue, but in terms of like scene, scene setting and description, I've always felt I'm a little bit weaker on that. And especially writing action scenes, I'm kind of uncomfortable with because literally when I do that, I, you know, sit down with a piece of paper and draw it out. I'm like, okay, well, here's what has to happen. Like he moves here and he moves here and he kicks in here <laughs> and like whatnot. But that, that's how I, that's how I have to organize these things in my head. But I, I'm glad to hear you say that because it gives me some more confidence with writing those, <laughs> those action scenes. I feel like I, I think in terms of movies, so translating the kind of movie-ready fight scene into the pages of a book is something that's proved kind of difficult, honestly. For sure. It's it's like five seconds in a movie is like 10 pages in a book. <laughs> it's so, right, it's exactly. ridiculous. And you have to know exactly what to write about and not only the main actions like, okay, am I going to talk about this background image or is it even important? Can I delete that part? And I think that's really big in the editing phase. Was that something that took a lot of work was editing through those scenes like especially the action scenes that you had yes there was there was definitely some editing involved in those and i'm one of those people who's really really obsessive about plot holes and things that don't add add up or loose ends that don't get tied up so i'm always constantly looking through my work and especially like some stories there are just some things that madden me about like well why wouldn't they do that and sometimes i get way too into these things where, you know, sometimes you could probably just let some things go and, and readers or, or viewers or whatever wouldn't question it. But those things drive me nuts, no matter if I'm watching TV or I'm reading a book and I'm just like, wait, why? No, I need to know why this happens. And if a story is not like completely 100% airtight, it drives me crazy. So <laughs> I, that's probably, that's probably an just an obsession of mine, but it, it is true. No, I love that. That's one of my pet peeves too, is like, it didn't end. But then if you find out there's a sequel and it's on purpose that it didn't end, then it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we're just about out of time. So my final question for you is this podcast is Read It With Whiskey. So what is your favorite whiskey to drink? Uh, well, like I said, I talked a little bit about my Irish heritage earlier. So I think I'm obligated to say Jameson. Um, <laughs> I've been to the Jameson factory in Dublin. That was a very fun experience. I actually went by myself and hung out with a bunch of German tourists drinking whiskey. So that was fun. Wow. <laughs> but also uh, on a more personal note, I also enjoy fireball whiskey because I love that spice. So All right. those All would right. probably be my choices. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your book, all of your social media um, and all that jazz. Absolutely. Well, I have a website, which is kind of the central location for everything that I do, which is Kyle Robertson novelist.com. So like my you know, first and last name and then the full word novelist, there is like two ends in there and it's kind of deceptive Kyle Robertson novelist.com. <laughs> 
And from there, I'm also on social media. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm also on Instagram. Um, on Facebook and Instagram, you can find me at K Rob Novelist. And on Facebook, my author page is just Kyle Robertson Novelist. Uh, I'm also working on updating my updating my website. So there's that. Um, hopefully it will be looking better by the end of this year once I make some much needed updates to it. But mostly you can find me on Twitter. That's probably where I'm most active. I honestly am not really a picture taker. So Instagram has been <laughs> difficult for me. And I'm also not nearly as obsessed about Facebook as I used to be. So Twitter is kind of where it's at for me. It's more where you're most likely to be able to actually like get in a conversation with me. All right, perfect. And the Showstopper is currently on Amazon. Is that on any other kind of platforms? No, just available on Amazon through KDP. So if you go on Amazon, you search the Showstopper and you'll probably have to add in my name too, because there are actually that, that, that chapter, I mean, that title is actually relatively like popular. People use Showstopper, the word, a lot. So you'll probably have to look up my name as well in there. But if you look it up, you'll be able to find the book. So yeah, it's there. It's on Kindle uh, and in paperback. So whichever one, I greatly appreciate the support. All right, Kyle. Well, this has been so much fun. I was so excited to read your book and I was so happy to have you. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I had so much fun talking with Kyle today. It was just a breath of fresh air to really get to know somebody who feels the same about collaborating and helping other fellow authors. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode as well. Um, like I said, this book was definitely a binge book for me. I read it so quickly and I think I'm going to go back through and read it again because there's so many little details that Kyle puts into his work and you can tell that he really, really cares about the overall feeling that you get when you're when you're finally at the end and you find out what happened what happens um, so i hope you really enjoyed this again go on to all of his social media make sure to go to amazon and purchase his book if you're interested and kyle will be in the running to be one of the featured books in the read it with whiskey book club the book club is coming soon in spring of 2021 so keep your eyes and ears out the first place you will hear about that is here on the read it with whiskey podcast all right. Well, that is all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. Until next time. Mm -hmm.